Welcome to this uncut, uncensored, and uncooked episode of Tunchuckle <laughs> of BBGWrestling.com. I am Pablo, and yes, I do have an ass like an amphitheater. Now, January, <laughs> January the 11th, 1993, Whitney Houston had a death grip on the number one spot, and George H.W. Bush was U.S. president. Alongside that, wrestling history was made. The first ever episode of Monday Night Raw hit the airwaves in the United States from the Manhattan Center. Free men were the original broadcast team for that uh, for that original episode. Vince McMahon, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and my guest today on Turnchuckle, I have with me, and it is an absolute honor, I have with me Rob Bartlett. Hello, how are you doing? Good, Paul. How are you doing? <clears throat> I'm Pablo, I'm sorry. I got to get your stage name right. That's okay. That's okay. So um, how was that for an introduction? I always like to say start with a really good introduction and then you can just go downhill and, you know, with shoddy questioning. And stuff. You know, a good introduction is 98% of a good interview, I find, you know, because as long as you say the, as long as you pronounce the, the guest's name correctly, I think you're in good shape. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's uncooked, uncensored, and unwatchable, at least when I was on it, so... That is not true. I am a. You'll be scared at how big of a fan I am of this time period. Um, you know, restraining orders may have to be called out by the end of this interview. So I do apologize. What makes you think I don't already have them out? <laughs> so, is uh, what's the worst uh, pronunciation that anyone's ever said of your name? Because uh, my name's Paul Fairbairn, um, and uh, they've That's had Paul, Paul Furlong. Yeah, but people just forget. I've had Furlong. I've had Care Bear. Um, you know, I've had everything, so yeah. I've got Ron Barnett, uh, <laughs> Rod Barlow. Um, when I was a kid in school, of course, Bartlett, you know, the B was replaced by an F, you know, pretty, uh, pretty frequently. So, um, which actually wound up being something that stuck for a while because I, uh, I have Crohn's disease, and so that became a uh, almost like a, a legendary uh, nickname, but. What are you gonna do? Yeah, uh-huh. we we all are who we are. So I'm um, growing up in in New York. I'm guessing. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So were you watching wrestling as a kid at all? And what were your interests uh, growing up? No, I really I really didn't get much into wrestling. I mean, <clears throat> when when I was a kid, wrestling was pretty much not a mainstream thing. It was like it was a very <clears throat> excuse me um select group of people who followed wrestling i mean there were still huge fans it wasn't as enormous an entity as it is you know now or since i should say you know since the 80s really is is when it really got its renaissance it became you know just exploded when vince took over you know he just he turned the whole thing around it used to be these black and white things on you know local channel nine in in new york um and you'd see you know uh, fred blassie and those kinds of guys and it had this really dirty kind of um i don't know kind of rebellious it, it it appealed to a certain hardcore group of people not as widespread or as ubiquitous as, as the appeal is now obviously um you know i was a big james bond beetle fan you know when i was a kid um i liked science fiction and you know that kind of stuff um batman the greenhorn and big into comic books but uh wrestling somehow never really um take out my fancy i'm on i got older and got married and and started having uh children uh my oldest son was an enormous wrestling fan he was born in 85 and so from about 
89, moving forward, he became, you know, really interested in, in the WWF. And I actually took him to Madison Square Garden. I think it was Macho Man's wedding. SummerSlam 91, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it was at Madison Square Garden because that's was. where we would have gone. Yeah. And um, we saw that live and he was just enthralled. And, you know, I was kind of impressed by the magnitude of it all and how meticulously it was all set up and the storylines and the way that it was created and he became this huge fan and then all of a sudden you know three four years later i was thrust in the middle of this world <laughs> that i knew little to nothing about um but uh it was a crazy 13 weeks it was it was a time that i re recall fondly yeah, strangely enough. That's great. We'll definitely be getting uh, be getting into that. So did you go to the garden much for other things at that point, like basketball? Or um, I used to go to concerts there. I think I saw, um, you know, Paul McCartney there. I think I saw um, and George Harrison. I saw at NASA Coliseum. My, my, my concert going had been limited pretty much to, to you know, um, solo Beatles until... I got a little older and my musical tastes developed a little further. So I just started being a fan of Beatlesque bands rather than just the Beatles. So, you know, Cheap Trick and, and Jellyfish and, you know, <laughs> the Flash Cubes and all those bands, you know, I started to get a, a, a feel for. Um, so, uh, no, I mean, I think I took him to see the Globetrotters there because he's a huge basketball fan. I think we saw the Globetrotters there too once, but uh, it's a great, it's a great venue. It's just one of the greatest. Um, I think maybe, maybe I saw Billy Joe there once time too. Anyway, it's a great, it's a great venue. It's a great place. It's got, you know, so much history. It's got, Plus, a, it's really easy to get to. You, you take the law on a railroad and then you just take the escalator upstairs and you're there, you know, <laughs> you don't have to get a cab or nothing. And it's, it's not as, big is you'd think as well uh from the inside it's, and the fact that it's circular it has that very there's no bad seat it's got such a great atmosphere it's kind of like a uh like a coliseum almost in terms of you know the the structure of the the venue yeah i mean it really doesn't have a bad seat i mean you know there are some bad seats i know because i got one um behind like uh, a pole or something or like, no it was the okay. second row from the top um and there was, I don't know, it was some kind of an obstructed view. I don't recall what it was. It was a beam or something in the way. But those were the seats that Vince had had given me. Um, <laughs> one during my tenure, I went to see an event there, and um, and I, you know, my son brought all his friends. I I, I rented a limo. You know, we went into the city. We all, I said we got to be sitting ringside, boys. You know, I was all <laughs> excited. You know, I was a big star. You know, and I kind of knew something was up because very few people recognized me. And this was like in the midst of my tenure on Raw. And um, I picked up the tickets to the box office and I looked at them and I went, oh, I don't know, this this has to be wrong. Um, when we go to our seats and, and you're just going up and up and up and up and up. And as I'm going up, I'm, I'm hearing people like laugh behind me. You know, it's like, so I went down before the matches started to see Vince. I went backstage. I said, what's the story, man? I said, well, I got to put a, a spotlight on you. I'm going to have you do the, the walk of shame down to the ring because I want you to interview Giant Gonzalez. And I said, oh, okay. <clears throat> well, I didn't go back to my seat. I wasn't going to do the walk of shame. 
but eventually they introduced me and I went out <clears throat> into the middle of the, the ring and, uh, and it's Harvey Whippleman, I guess, was the manager of uh, Giant Gonzalez at the time. And he was trashing New York City. And, you know, I, I entered the ring to enormous boos. I mean, the booing was just <laughs> like, you would have thought I was the worst heel ever. And, um, and Harvey started like really trashing trashing new york city you know trying what was slimy people and disgusting dirty people and new yorkers are the scum of the earth and um you know that's the center of the universe it's the greatest city in the freaking world and you know and then i start messing with giant gonzalez i said that's not real that's that's wool that's not hair that's 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 wool I mean, <clears throat> and giant grabs my shoulder and gives me the spock pinch and forces me to my knees and um they you know they humiliate me a little further and he lets go and i i then did what, what was going to be um known from that point further as my patented finishing move which is running from the ring fearing for my life and i just i slipped through the ropes and i went right back up to sit with the boys but afterwards we all went backstage and they got their pictures taken with virgil and yeah, you know, all they got Virgil and 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 uh, Randy. Uh, I forget who else was on the show. Um, the Steiner brothers, I think, and they got to hold uh, the belt. You know, I got pictures of the belt. So it was like it, it was still. I, I I saved some face at least with that, even though the seats were awful. <clears throat> they got to uh, to be part of the you know meet their guys, their favorite favorite guys. So that's great. I have a feeling that that show may have been the headlock on hunger. Uh, benefit show maybe because they were in Madison Square Garden at the end of January when Brett uh, come out with the the check for like a hundred grand or something and give it to the because it was for the Somalian relief right I remember uh, that yeah fund and they were that might have been that might have been um you know here's here's a a, a completely random pointless fact uh, I have a headlock on hunger pin badge that was owned by Jimmy Hart um wow i think he was like digging through his drawers and he was like right what will the marks buy and i was just like right yes please let me have this headlock on hunger badge oh that's awesome i know the person who owns the you know the big sign that was up in the manhattan center someone actually Mm -hmm. owns that sign really Um, yeah i don't know how that would end up in someone's hands unless they just took it (laughs) you know i guess when they left manhattan center they probably you know because everything was mobile because we couldn't do it four weeks every month we had to take a week off yeah because i guess they had something else booked in there the reverend moon i think owns the building or at least owned the building and i don't know if he had weddings or something in there because it was an enormous and you know it's like a state-of-the-art um ballroom i mean from, from like the 40s it was beautiful it was just this beautiful ballroom with a stage and what's what's funny is that when i actually when i was in um, how to succeed in business on Broadway. We recorded the album, the the, um, the original cast album, in that same space, so that it would sound like it, it was in a theater. So we actually recorded it there once with Daniel Radcliffe, and then again with uh, Nick Jonas. We did both from that from that space, which was kind of cool. It was like you know, <laughs> returning to the scene of the crime. <clears throat> yeah, I guess so. Um, the uh, the original, I don't know if you know this, but it was talked about the original idea for Raw was to make it like the old boxing sort of 1940s, 1950s, where there was going to be dinner tables all around the uh, ring and everyone oh, was wow. going to wear like dinner suits and stuff like that. And uh, eventually they didn't uh, They didn't go for that. <laughs> Not the crowd that was there every week. I don't think anybody owned a suit. 
<laughs> no, um, so going back to um, the sort of 70s and like pre the international boom of WWF, um, uh, with guys like Bruno Sammartino, I and mean, yes, there was Fred Blassie showing up on Regis Philbin and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but in New York, did those big names like Ivan Koloff, Billy Graham, Bruno Sammartino, did they have a a, a reach outside of wrestling like were they showing up on tv shows were, were they was there any kind of mainstream appeal to them i don't recall there being much crossover um i i think it was pretty much kept to that 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 area you know they uh, certainly the live events were very popular and and you know that <clears throat> the stuff that they did it was more televised matches i don't even think they had the same kind of off you know and uh, behind the scenes out of the ring stuff you know with the interviews and the the the, you know the interactions between the two and i didn't remember that being part of it then either i could be wrong but um again it's it's i think you know vince just really revolutionized the sport i mean he just you know he came in and turned the whole thing around into just a money-making machine he really did. I mean, the I, I'm again such a big fan of that time. I like discovered wrestling Christmas '92, so Raw came what like maybe three weeks after. Mm-hmm. after yeah, Christmas. pretty much. Raw didn't. Um, I, I really want to get into because it it's one of my favorite segments of all time that you were involved in, um, and then you might have to guess what it was. But um, Raw it's one of two, I would think. Okay, so uh, Raw didn't. Uh, get aired fully in this country until 95 uh, oh, but, okay but one of the first uh episodes of it was like one of those weekend recap shows um oh, okay showed my favorite uh, and it stands up to this day and for whatever reason they didn't put it on the best of raw 93 box set i think they should have um it was uh, do you want to guess what it was by any chance? is it the, the was it the episode where I uh, did my Vince impression for the entire show? It wasn't. No. Oh. Um, oh. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, you mean that, that wasn't, wasn't that wasn't that Vince? was included? That, that was included in the box set. Um, there there was a match that you commentated on that is included on that box set. But the okay. uh, my my favorite scene of all time is uh, the Sherry Luna catfight. Oh, that was the other one. That was the other one I was going <laughs> to guess. That one. That one was. Uh, that was that actually could have been the beginning of a really big wrestling career for me because all of a sudden there were kids who wanted my autograph after that i guess because i had actually interacted and you know kind of played it up a little bit with the fainting and randy smacking me in the face and all that stuff Uh, i had no idea um that that's what was going to happen until I got there. I mean, 99% of the time, I rarely knew. You know, I would talk with Kevin Dunn, the producer, uh, on the phone the day or two before, and he'd kind of give me an outline of what they were thinking of doing and whatnot. And then, you know, I would get there, and then all of a sudden, Vince would say, uh, Doink's going to come out and hit you with a pie. You know, it's <laughs> like, but but Vince, this is the week I decided to, to be Elvis. I I got this wig and these glasses, and um, oh, it's going to be funny. And in my face, and it's for the entire show, I have this stuff on my face dressed as Elvis. It just made no sense. Um, and then that, there was the same thing with that. It was like, um, Luna Vachon and uh, Sincere Shire are going to come out, and you're going to, you know, view them and they're gonna they're gonna get into a scuffle and you're gonna try to break it apart and they're gonna tear your clothes up 
I, I was what? <laughs> and I was glad that I didn't wear anything, you know, really expensive, but because they literally tore the clothes off me. It was it was pretty it was pretty amazing, I have to say. Yes, it was. And and the thing is, WWF at that point had never really ventured into sort of catfights on that mm -hmm. level. They mm -hmm. had they had a women's division in like the throughout the 80s and the 70s but it was very mm. straightforward not sexualized at all but this mm. really fit in with what raw wanted to be in my opinion and yeah being such a fan of that time period it can't be understated or overstated enough that how refreshing monday night raw was compared to what had come before that because everything was kind of formulaic in its presentation um it was a genius idea on on vince's um part he had this idea that adding a guy who was on morning radio and used to making up material on the spot based on the current events, which is pretty much what I was doing on IMS, you know, writing these comedy bits that you know, had to do with the things that were going on in the country, whatever. And, you know, the cast of characters was really the way that I worked. And, and he just thought that that was a way of, of highlighting the spontaneity and the fact that it was totally live, you know, and, and that that edgy sense of anything can happen, I think was really, you know, something that also, again, revolutionized the industry at that point, because that had never been done before. I mean, they had done live wrestling before, but it was done with these old black and white cameras and these, you know, in these gyms or wherever, and it was broadcast like that. But there was nothing like this that was so produced and it was so slick and so, so well, you know, well thought out, you know, and, and, and presented. Um, so I had to give him a lot of credit for that because he's, you know, he's, he's the, he's the PT Barnum of our age. He knows his audience. He knows how to make a buck. You know, he knows how to, how to sell his product. You know, he's a real genius when it comes to that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and the, the thing is, I mean, I'm sure Mooney said this as well. Uh, and he said this several times that Vince said to him that nothing can go wrong if it's live. And WWF had the cameras and the lighting and everything and actually worked because they were so used to big arenas at that point that um, like Tom Buchanan, uh, the photographer, uh, I interviewed him once and he said it was one of the worst venues for flash photography because, because of the lighting and everything mm -hmm. so near and everything like that. But there is, a, no matter how slick they were, there was only room for one take. So mistakes were left in and, mm -hmm. You know, and with the commentary as well, and I can imagine a control two control freaks like Vince McMahon and Randy Savage not being able to do more than one take of some of that stuff probably drove them insane. Like, were there any situations where, like Vince backstage, maybe said something like, you know, because of something that you said or something that Randy said, or was there like a mute button on the microphone so they like no, I, elbow you in the I, ribs or something? <laughs> I, I think the uh, the editing came after, you know. I think the uh, the bleeping and and whatnot, you know, came when they started releasing the box sets and re rebroadcasting and and whatnot. Um, Vince, to his credit, never ever had any. I mean, he didn't require me to present to him what I was going to do first. He never required. I mean, I used to give 
Kevin Dunn a heads up in case it was something that was, you know, totally off base or whatever. But Vince pretty much trusted me to, to do whatever I needed to do on my own. And, um, you know, whether that was a good or bad idea, I think that time will only tell. Uh, I am tickled, however, at the fact that all of a sudden there's this renaissance in my my tenure at Raw. It's like I was living in shame for these many years. And all of a sudden, um, you know, I don't know how I stumbled on it, but, you know, the old school wrestling podcast they do out of Dublin um i i happen to be listening to osw were great Uh, yeah so so funny like they were like really the first ones and they were doing the the first episode of raw and i figured i always stumbled into it i must have seen a tweet or something and so i i I listened to it and (laughs) there was like and here we have monster man randy savage and vince mcmahon and who's this cunt and then it was like (laughs) But they were so great, and I just got such a big kick out of it. Um, I actually went back, uh, I went on as a guest uh, Uh with them. Um, But then all of a sudden, I've done like three or four of these podcasts. Sean Mooney did Sean Mooney's podcast. I've done three or four of these, you know, and now now yours, your your illustrious podcast here, the Turnchuckle. Um, and, and, And it's amazing. All of a sudden, people are like, it's like, what was it, Van Gogh or or... Yeah, I think it was Van Gogh. Didn't he didn't become famous until after he died? Fortunately, I didn't have to die until I was appreciated. <laughs> but all of a sudden, and, and my son still is a fan. He listens to a bunch of podcasts, and he uh, he heard this one, uh, Brian Alvarez, uh, out of the West Coast, the, the the podcast he does, and they were doing every episode of Raw. They were doing uh, watch alongs, you know, every episode of Raw, and um, they actually had a special episode called an ode to rob bartlett where they had their listeners their followers write songs and poems about me and that was the basis for the episode and then i came on as, as a surprise guest at the end so it's it's been so cool you know it's, and it's it's funny because you know i've never been invited back i've not been to one anniversary show i've not been to any of the stuff that's happened afterwards um if anniversary next year i'm telling well, you we'll see i don't know i'm not i'm not holding my breath to see whether or not i'm going to get invited to that anniversary but um i mean it would be great i would love to be part of an anniversary you know uh, like i said I, I remember that time fondly I, I could not have worked with better people that was the thing that really impressed me was uh i mean bobby heenan was one of the nicest kindest gentlemen i've ever had the pleasure of working with and he was deeply deeply funny he and gorilla together like they were the the night that i did vince um could have been a stand-up comedy duo they they could have been a comedy team hands down they could absolutely because they just worked so well together and heenan had all the instincts he had great great timing um and randy was just the could not be more helpful, you know. It was like, brother, if there's anything you need, let me know. I'll set you up for whatever you got, you know. Just off camera, like during the commercials for Ico Pro, or whatever. <laughs> he'd lean over and say, "You're right, brother. Can I do anything for you, brother?" And it was just, you know, you don't never get that in show business, you know. But and all the guys, all the wrestlers, to to a man, were all um, like like Ric Flair, Nature Boy, 
called me sir it was like just, <laughs> you know, rick no it's like you're you know you're the nature boy i've been told i'm supposed to call you sir you know it's like but you know and they were all really terrific people i mean um scott uh i can't remember his last name now who was raising ramon um, oh, Scott Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Hall. He liked to bust my balls. He, he used to, <laughs> like sure to bust did. my balls. Um, Bart Lett, you going to be funny tonight or what? <laughs> um, Undertaker. Here's something about the Undertaker. I don't know if anybody knows this, but out of the ring, he never dropped the persona. All the guys, uh, you know, uh, to a man were just the, the, the greatest people. Um, you know that the Steiner brothers, uh, one of them actually uh, took their finger, you know, put it around my throat like that, right my Adam's apple and squeezed. You know they just loved to to, to mess with it. You know, um, <clears throat> but no no attitudes, no egos, no nastiness. I don't think Vince tolerated it. You know, um, uh, you know Bam Bam Bigelow. You know, here's a guy who has tattoos of flames on his head, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> he, you know, he, he'd be in the corner, you know, chewing on a car battery. And and yet he comes to the show with his wife and three infant children. And to see him with the babies was just like, you know, it's like the greatest thing. Um, uh, Undertaker, this is this is interesting about Undertaker. Undertaker was exactly the same off stage as he is on stage. In the ring, out of the ring, he never dropped the persona. And during the meetings he would you know i'd walk into the room and, and uh, i guess they were almost like hotel rooms that were off from the manhattan center ballroom um i don't know if they were used in the old days as like powder rooms or whatever they were used because i mean and that the, the manhattan center was the kind of venue that those old school wrestling matches took place in back you know in the 50s and 60s in those types of venues so you know raw was actually a throwback to that time before it had become so enormous um but you know they'd have like a buffet set up there would always be you know a grilled chicken and and rice and some kind of steamed vegetable or steamed vegetable medley and a bowl of ico pro bars and, <laughs> and uh. in the corner squatting without leaning his back against the wall but squatting in a perfect squat hands on his knees looking straight forward nothing here would be the undertaker and it would be like that until it was time for him to stand up put on the hat and go into the ring it was it was method acting the likes of which i've never seen before in my life it was to say that he was committed to his character would be an understatement but man i tell you it was it was cool that's the thing only just now since he retired um has he kind of opened up and been more himself mm-hmm. uh, you know and it it just goes to show that until then even as recent as what like two years ago uh he never really did interviews out of character or anything like that and there's a reason why you know he was so successful because everyone knows everything now in wrestling mm-hmm. and you know it's it's hard to believe what you see but even though the undertaker is kind of a ridiculous character uh he's a dead zombie d- guy you know um but you don't really think about the ridiculousness of it because he's so committed to it and uh you know like you say he wears black in public and 
uh, never really did interviews and stuff like that. So I can I can totally believe that. So the, the thing is, the Manhattan Center. Now, I, I stood outside of the Manhattan Center. I never got to go in. Um, so there is a picture of me. And there's I, I went to Madison Square Garden as well. And, uh, Josh Groban was playing that night. So it was just full of middle-aged women uh, stood outside. <laughs> so I couldn't really get inside. But um, the Manhattan Center, I mean, we've heard stories of how the ring would have to go up in the elevator, like five or six trips or whatever it was. So... You know, the first yeah, show- I don't I don't think that it was set up for that kind of a, <laughs> no. a, a, a setting. You know, I mean, I, I know that they were freight elevators, uh, but I don't you know, I don't think that they were large enough like some of the larger venues. Now, obviously, they uh, you can bring cars up and down in a, in a, in a freight elevator at the larger venues like in the casinos. You know, you can bring up a, a truck in, in some of them, uh, but I don't think so. I think, yeah, they probably had to take five, maybe 10 trips to, to bring it up and set it up. And yeah, I got there early once and saw them just finishing up, setting it up. It's a really interesting process, you know, and but the guys who do it have done it so often. They know it like the back. It's like roadies, you know, knowing how to set up a, a stage for a rock band. Uh, they really know what they're doing, you know. And a lot of the guys who would set up the ring were also referees. They were also the uh-huh. timekeepers, etc. As well. And uh, I mean, not to not to date the show, but because I, I try not to talk about things that have happened like in the last week, sort of thing. So if someone listens to it in a year's time, this is why I, mm-hmm. I don't talk about COVID or anything like that because it's just you know. Um, right. But it, uh, two referees, uh, Dave Hebner and uh, Tim White. Mm-hmm. Uh, passed away and uh, obviously uh, they were there during that time and tim uh, white was um he was for a long time he was under the giants handler and i think it was like what the second or third episode of raw uh the tribute for andre the giant uh happened mm-hmm. as well the 10 bell salute and there was a the a beautiful music video and everything um those kind of things never really got acknowledged on tv at that time because uh, i guess we didn't we do um uh, a 10 Bell mm. salute to Andre on Raw. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Because I remember both Vince and Randy getting a little uh, misty-eyed. You know, I mean, he was such a beloved figure. Um, everyone loved him. I didn't. I'm, sadly, I never got a chance to meet him, but he was a beloved figure. Um, Vince and Randy were at the uh, at the funeral as well, and I mean, mm-hmm. again, this was around the time that I was just getting into wrestling and. Because SummerSlam the year before had sold out Wembley Stadium, mm-hmm. wrestling in the UK was probably bigger than it was in America at that point because there was the wrestling yeah. album came out and all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the magazines that we saw, all unauthorized magazines, were talking about the death of Andre the Giant and the death of uh, Kerry Von Erich, uh, the Texas Tornado as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I can imagine that was a a, a pretty big emotional thing because the, the last 10 bell salute that I remember them acknowledging on tv was for vince's dad in 84 so obviously it just shows what a big deal andre's Mm -hmm. passing was and they started the hall of fame as a result of that and Mm -hmm. um yeah so you know i know i know we're jumping around a little bit but the the night that you impersonated vince um (laughs) so vince can't have been there that night i'm guessing because it was the big snowstorm but you happen no. to be the area. Here's here's okay. the story. Um, it was the night of the big snowstorm, <clears throat> but Vince and Randy were at an event where Vince was being um, given uh, an award for the charity work that the WWF was doing. And 
one of the things that you have to credit that organization for is the amount of charity work that they do. I mean, every single person uh, in that organization is completely devoted to a myriad of charities. I mean, no matter any given week, there's going to be some wrestlers at a children's hospital or, or, you know, an orphanage or, I mean, they're, the amount of work that they do, especially for kids, is really remarkable. And it's one of the things that Vince insisted on um, that you make yourself available to um, and, and that you put in the time and, and the effort to, to make part of your your tenure with the WWF was to to give back. And so he was winning an award and Macho Man was going to be there. Um, and I also think um, Hogan, Hulk Hogan was going to be there. And um so we knew this and so vince said that bobby heenan and gorilla monsoon were going to be the other two guys and we were going to be doing it from the mid hudson civic center this hockey arena up in uh, poughkeepsie new york but there was this massive snowstorm and i didn't even think i was going to get there to be honest with you but the night he told me was the week before and so when i went back to get my makeup taken off I asked the, the the makeup lady, Sharon, I think her name was, I said, do you think you can make me look like Vince? And she said, what do you mean? I said, you know, can you like, give me the big lips? Can you, can you help me with the shoulders? Can you help me with the hair? She said, yeah, yeah. So I rented a tuxedo and uh, I got in a little early, partially for the weather, but also because I really wanted to make sure that I was set up. Um, and she she did my hair and she did my lips and she did the makeup and I had the, the bow tie on and <clears throat> and I did him for the entire show. But <laughs> the thing that I was doing was that, well, I wasn't so much talking like Vince. I was kind of doing like the perception of Vince that you would get if you were like in another room listening in to the <laughs> the match going on. So it would be I'm a Monday Night Raw. And that's all I did for the entire 60 minutes. I think there were a couple of comments um, that that Gorilla uh, got really upset by. Uh, something about one of, was it one of the Steiner brothers kidnapped one of the kids in the audience? Or there was something that I said that was, you know, that the Gorilla was not having it. Heenan, on the other hand, was really <laughs> digging it. He was really enjoying it because nobody had ever made fun of Vince before, you know? Um, I remember after the show was over, he went, Bartlett, you got balls. <laughs> um, but it, it's funny because it was at a charity event that I met Vince. I met Vince at a charity event for the uh, Connecticut Special Olympics. And I was the MC comic auctioneer. And he was at a table seated right up front. And he was wearing a three-piece velour peach colored suit and i did about 20 minutes worth of material on the suit <laughs> and a couple days later i got a call um you know i think first he sent a card um you know you were great the other night i'm sorry you didn't really enjoy the fashion choice my my suit my, my designer suit whatever it was all very tongue-in-cheek it's very sweet uh, a couple of days later, I get a call. I'm driving home. I get a call, and it's Imus's um, 
assistant, Vince McMahon just called. He wants you to call him. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I think it's he finally said it. He saw a tape or something. He realized that it wasn't as funny as he thought it was. He's really not happy with this. And uh, I called him. He goes, Bartlett, how do you like to be on live TV? <clears throat> and he explained to me the idea for Monday Night Raw. And I got home and my son got home from school. I said, Sean, what do you think? Sean said, yeah. You know, he was all excited. I did some firsthand uh, access to the, the wrestlers. And so I did it, you know, and uh, for better or worse, it was, uh, it was a fun 13 weeks. Absolutely. Bobby Heenan, um, I've got one of Bobby Heenan's raw jackets as well. Oh, wow. I'll have to show you a picture of that. But um, I wanted the wig he wore on the first one when he's playing my aunt. <laughs> Did, did you see the um, the 25th anniversary that was done from the Manhattan Center a few years back? Uh, three people in the audience, one dressed like Bobby Heenan, dressed as a Hasidic Jew, one oh, dressed funny. like Bobby Heenan as the old woman. You know, oh, so. that's funny. <laughs> oh, it was, uh, yeah. It was Nobody great. dressed like me, though. How much I can guarantee you. <laughs> you had a sweet stash at the time. Um, I did. It was like, it was more like a porno. Stash. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Was that yeah. for anything in particular? Or? No, I just, I don't like my face hairless. I have a very thin top lip and, and I also don't like shaving. So hence the beard. Mm. Um, but I didn't want to wear the beard, you know, on TV because it made me look too threatening. I wanted to be that guy you'd want to have a beer with and have a few laughs with. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so little was it, did I know. Was it a big deal for you to shave it off for the Vince um, impression then? We shaved no. it off for Elvis before. Was Elvis before that? I, 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 I used to shave it and put it back on okay. often. When, when I was doing uh, Odd Couple uh, with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick on Broadway, um, I was also still doing IMAS, and they had this promotion with Gillette, I think, with one of their new razors, and they paid me to shave my mustache off on air, not realizing that on Broadway, when a director signs off on the look of a character, you can't alter that character in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So I had to actually put on a mustache, a fake mustache for the rest of the run, or at least until my mustache grew back, because um, you're not allowed to to do that. How, how so. good was, was it durable or did sweat make it hang off or anything like oh, that? Oh, sweat or? would always make it, you yeah. know. Um, but I would fortunately always be able to get it before it would flop. Um, the one that I wore for How to Succeed, because I played two characters in How to Succeed, that one, you know, flopped a couple times and I, I had more than one cast member just go up and like, look like he was going to squeeze my cheek. Like what a good boy. And what he was really doing was pressing the, the mustache back out of my face. Mm -hmm. um, I wore a, a toupee on the top of my head for the second character. It was because my hair was kind of gray at that point, but it was a dark brown toupee because I figured that the guy, you know, the first money he ever made, he was going to buy a toupee and he never really replaced it. Uh, and then in the big dance number, the big number at the end of the show, Brotherhood of Man, um, we were, you know, it was a very athletic dance. And I would need oxygen after it was over. <laughs> and, uh, you know, part of it was like, I turned around, whatever. And when I spun, I happened to see out of the corner of my eye, the toupee leap off my head and go to the left where there was, uh, Nick Mayo, another one of the actors, and he backhanded it almost behind his back as it went over his shoulder. We turned back around for the second part of the dance and he plopped it back on my head. So, yeah, Fantastic. Hair, hair is not a good thing to have to be worried about when you're on TV or stage.
No. Uh, so what, what was uh, Vince like backstage for getting his hair and uh, makeup done then? Because everyone said it was a toupee for years until Donald Trump finally shaved it off. And then um... Um, I never thought it was a toupee. I always <laughs> thought that it was real. Uh, okay. And <clears throat> I don't know that anyone was allowed to see him getting made up, though, to be honest. Um, I think he just wanted to have his own private time, which was, you know, he's the boss <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> what he wants he should be able to do what he wants to do that's true did things uh, make you wear makeup for i think we wore a little makeup only because of the, of the lights you know just the usual work a little bit of powder and stuff for the shine and whatnot you know and comb your eyebrows whatever so just so you would look presentable you know it wasn't like heavy duty thick ass theatrical makeup but it was just Whenever you're going to be on camera, especially under those kinds of lights, they have to give you a little bit of something, you know. I think people would be shocked to hear that there were no attitudes or anything like that, especially with not that Randy, because Todd Pettengill uh, told me about Randy Savage as well, because he used to host Saturday Morning uh, Mania with him for for a long time. Um, And Randy was always known for... I mean, he would write his matches down move by move and go through it with the wrestler and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it's quite surprising that there were, he was c- kind of loose and um, kind of easy with it, really. And uh, there was no there was no attitude or no ego or anything like that. I think he just liked the fact that this was something different for him. Um, and he was good at it. Mm-hmm. He was really good at it. He just, he brought his character to it and, you know, he stayed true to his character and he added, you know, the whole thing is that you want to add to the proceedings, you know, and there were sometimes very few that I added the, to the proceedings, but, you know, Randy always brought it. Randy always added something, you know, Vince always added something to it. It was always a little something, something, um, you know, I, I think putting me in as the heel early on was probably a wise move. Um it hadn't been completely fully developed by the time I'd left, but you know, who knows if I'd stayed. Um, so was there ever any talk? Cause you were there through the Royal Rumble and through WrestleMania nine, but they were both on the West coast. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing your other commitments were the reason why you wouldn't have been able to make it out there. And back. yeah, I mean, that, that really was, I mean, not, not that they actually asked if I could get out of them because I think I <laughs> probably would have let me out of them to do that. But, um, uh, you know, those were, I think when they were out there, there was some bit that I don't remember now, some bit that we did uh, on that Monday where I was in the, in the room with the, with the, the empty room, you know, Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I remember that. It was um, yeah. when they were all out for yeah. WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, when you were doing uh, the like stuff with Imus, and I'm guessing you're interviewing a lot of celebrities, uh, you know. And I know uh, Todd talks about this as well. Did any wrestlers pass through before then? Guys like Roddy Piper or you know Hulk Hogan or guys who <clears throat> were doing other no, things but actually happened. much later. Uh, after Hulk had uh, done his movie career and was doing his um, reality show, he was a guest on IMUS. And I had, uh, I used to do him as one of my characters. Um, it was funny because it was really, I was really doing Randy's voice, but I was doing Hulk <laughs> over it. And, uh, and Hulk would like give his point of view on whatever the, you know, the topic of the day was or whatever. Um, but he 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 came on the day after 
the controversy with man cow and that whole horrible thing happened and i just remember because i had met him um backstage at raw uh right when he was doing mr nanny i think mm. and um you know he's doing the tour to promote the the movie it's either mr nanny or, or suburban commander one of those two and um uh, i met him um backstage and uh, so I, i'd met him before uh, again, sweet, nice, you know, professional guy. And uh, when he was at, at IMS, it was, like I said, the, the day after this thing broke and he looked beaten. He just, he was so dejected. He was so sad and it really hurt. My, my heart broke for him because, you know, he really got punked, man. They really did him wrong with that whole thing. It was so, so, so unfair, you know, um, yeah, he had a he had a turbulent few years to say the least. I mean, he, he got taken out of the Hall of Fame. Um, as a fan, you know, I it's one of those things that you know, I don't know enough, I don't know wrestlers personally, but you know, you you also hear horror stories when it comes to certain wrestlers, and I'm sure you've heard them yourself, but you know, for me, I'm kind of good for separating the art from the artist sort of thing because mm-hmm. I love watching it. And I think a lot of wrestling fans are that way as well. They're not gonna be like, oh, he was you know, whatever he was racist or he was even, oh God, even the worst things like Chris Benoit or whatever, people will still happily watch Chris Benoit matches because they appreciated the art. Mm-hmm. You know, they can separate that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. did do you find that there's not like a, <laughs> not like a low bar of morality, but like a sort of more of a high acceptance from wrestling fans that they kind of, you know, the, they appreciate it. I mean, because obviously you didn't really get, you weren't involved in wrestling before that, but mm-hmm. um, what were your experiences like with wrestling fans? Did you find that they were quite accepting generally? Um, and even of the bad stuff, you know, because I mean, 1993, there were silly characters, etc. But that's just what WWF was in 1993. But there was also the serious stuff like the Brutus Beefcake with the, mm-hmm. the briefcase and Mr. Perfect against Ric Flair and that career-ending match and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, what were your experiences with the fans like at that time? That was a long-winded question to get there, but... You know. um, the fans were serious. I mean, they were, they were some of the most devoted fans I think I've ever witnessed, you know? I mean, they were certainly more dedicated and more deeply entrenched in uh, their admiration for the product... Uh, more so than any of uh, the Justin Bieber fans or or any of those, you know, boy groups that, you know, girls would swoon over. Um, they really, you know, they're serious. They're like to the death. I mean, they get tattoos on their body of wrestlers and logos and, and um, they take it very, very seriously. And, you know, they bristle when somebody dares to um, say something derogatory about it, you know. Um, and, and they're right, they're right to, to, to have that attitude because it is an amazing world, you know, and it's a world unto itself and it's a world that has its own rules and it has its own laws and it has its own realities. And it's like, you're part of that world. You're in it, you know? Um, you know, there are casual fans who may take exception with something here and there, um, you know, certainly, uh, I don't think I was all that accepted initially, um, which was fine. You know, I mean, they shouldn't have, cause I really, you know, 
didn't know what I was doing. I am one of the top 10 worst wrestling announcers in history. I'm not number one yet. I'm still hoping. I'm holding on hope I'm going to pass it to number one at some point. Do you know who but, usually gets voted number one? Who? Uh, do you remember Art Donovan? Uh, he was a... Uh, Artie Donovan, yeah. Yeah, he was I like knew a, Artie Donovan. I actually met... Did, you know who... You know who Artie reminded me of Bobby. Bobby and Artie were very similar personalities. I met Artie on a, on a, on a, a pilot for a, a, a sports talk show uh, that uh, I did in Baltimore. It was uh, in a ring. It was in a, it was in a boxing ring. And um, he was one of the guests. And again, one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet, you know. Uh, but he, he wasn't great, huh? <clears throat> <laughs> they, they made, they, they were in Baltimore, which was his hometown. And uh, I, I don't know if it was a rib or not, but was, Vince was not on commentary because I think he would have done something about it. But it was Gorilla Monsoon and Randy Savage on commentary. And uh, this was for, for a full three-hour pay-per-view. And he would just kind of like how the, I'm going to say the Rob Bartlett character, because obviously you were playing a character on, right. on Raw, would kind of um, <laughs> kind of take away the seriousness of a subject. I, one of my favorites was IRS would come out and you're like, well, why is he wearing a belt if he's got suspenders and, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, so, but Rob Bart, uh, uh, R. Donovan would kind of do that during like the most serious moments possible mm-hmm. to the point where they just ignored him and his microphone got turned off in the last <laughs> match. <laughs> so I think people like to look back and have fun at that, but he makes a, a very good pay-per-view unlistenable. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the roars, these early roars are kind of, they are un, uncooked, uncut, and uncensored, and unplanned, and kind and unwatchable. Of and, <laughs> uh, so, you, any show that has a Damien Demento match is uh, fine by me. <laughs> Damien Demento. Well, Do you know what? that he he actually blames me for his career not taking off because of the <laughs> stuff I said about him. And he's scary. He does these paintings like on Facebook. He's a little. He's he scares me. He went through a period, I haven't seen him or heard from him for a little while, but he did go through a period of making his face known again. Because he does paintings, but didn't he do like models for TV shows and stuff like that? Yeah, like, probably like horror models or something. <laughs> the paintings were pretty, pretty frightening. You know, L.A. Gore, mm-hmm. who I think had his debut match on Raw, um, came up to me after the match and said, do you remember me? I said, what? He said, I used to be the bouncer at this club that I used to do stand-up at. <laughs> I had no idea it was the same guy. That's amazing. L.A. LA Gore was, he was pretty big for a jobber, basically, because, yeah. you know, they, they still had a lot of um, enhancement talent at that yeah. point. But one of my favorite things is seeing or hearing your reaction on commentary to seeing some of these people for the first time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So well, the Yokozuna one is, is legendary. You know, that's mm-hmm. the one I always get called to the carpet for the most you know it's either you know one of three three lines that i have to pay penance for it's a he should spend less time at the sushi bar more time at the salad bar very good um uh he's got an ass like an amphitheater vince and um that's one big oriental or some some one giant oriental one big butted oriental one big butted oriental right yeah that's uh, those are the three that i tend to get and I, you know, people always say, 
you keep mispronouncing his name. And what I was doing was making fun of Mr. Fuji, who was make, who was mispronouncing his name. And no one seemed to get that, you know. So it was a little subtle thing that I probably should have left left in the maybe not a good idea pile. If it, if it makes you feel any better, Hulk Hogan, who was he was world champion after WrestleMania and he was very much part-time because he was filming Thunder in Paradise. Um, wow. So all he did was do a pre-taped interview every week as champion. I don't think he ever showed up once except wow. that one raw. And um, he couldn't pronounce Yokozuna's name. It was like <laughs> Yakazuma. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it, slurs were more accepted <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was a different world then. I mean, I cringe when I hear it now. You know, when I <clears throat> sometimes I go on these podcasts and they'll they'll play, you know, pieces from the 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 pilot of Raw, and I, you know, it's really cringeworthy for me <clears throat> just to know, um, you know, how inappropriate a lot of that stuff was. It was, but again, though, it was experimentation, and it was it was edgy. I think it was the, it was that step forward that. Mm. WWF needed to take. I mean, if you look at uh, when they really became more adult in like sort of 97 leading into 98, a lot of that stuff wouldn't fly now. Uh, mm. But I feel that that stuff was needed to really freshen everything up. And, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, the you could tell that there was a chemistry there between you, Randy and Vince on it. But the thing is, though, like I say, I, I didn't realize that because being... The Rob Bartlett character didn't know a lot about wrestling and stuff like that. It felt that maybe Randy and Vince weren't keen on you, but that certainly wasn't the case. Um, Well, uh, I never felt any of that, you know. Yeah. Um, Like I said, Vince, Vince supported me the entire time. I mean, I think he got frustrated sometimes because we couldn't find the right, you know, niche for me to settle in. Um, and I know Kevin Dunn was trying really hard to come up with something and I, he had me develop some other ideas. I, he had me write a pilot for a, a sitcom based on a wrestling family. And, um, I wrote a pilot for like a Saturday night live show, um, using wrestlers as the, as the uh, primetime players. Um, that sounds um, amazing. <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, and I think wisely he didn't do that then because it wasn't right. I mean, I can see them going there. Like, I don't know if you guys have the Young Rock uh, program. We, we don't. Um, okay. It's tremendous. It yeah. It's tremendous. It's so well done. And the guys that they have playing the wrestlers are are so great, so spot on. The guy they have playing Vince, you know, is so, you know, spot on. Um but I, I think I think now is the time when I can start going in that in that direction. You know, I don't think you could have gone there back then. You know, um, it's it's a weird thing as well, though. That I mean, because you talk about the resurgence of those old episodes of Raw, mm-hmm. um, there seems to to be more people who watch shows about wrestling than actually watch wrestling now i mean they watch like the old stuff because this it's steeped in nostalgia and um mm-hmm. you know the stuff's readily available on the network but you talk about the young rock uh show um there's the story that zach efron's going to play uh kerry von eric in a movie oh, wow uh, that's coming out wow. and, and um um uh God, i can't remember his name uh, plays four um chris hemsworth he's gonna be mm-hmm. playing hulk hogan in a 
in the wow. biopic. Um, wow. And it's just, it, it seems like there were so many, there's so much interest in the past. And I mean, you look at the figures as well, and the, the, the action figures and, uh, you know, and I, I know you were blown away, but and so was I. I mean, God, if I had the room, the full Manhattan Center toys set up of, uh, you know, the, the just made by someone from scratch. Yeah, um, that, that, the thing is, is uh, I don't remember what the handle is, but I think Nate N eight is is uh, is the name that goes uh, with his. I don't know, let me see if I can find it because he's he really we really should give him a shout out because he he made a Rob Bartlett. Yeah, it's at Ring Skirts on tw- on uh, on Twitter mm-hmm. at Ring Skirts, and if you guys haven't seen it, he has recreated the Manhattan Center <laughs> um, ring crowd and the three of us, and actually made his own Rob Bartlett action figure because there sadly is not one uh, yet. I'm holding out hope. That this nostalgia wave will continue, and then there'll be a, a Rob Bartlett uh, action figure. But he's amazing. I, I don't see why there they couldn't be. I mean, there's so many. Uh, you know, we have the official Chella Toys podcast, and there are so many other independent toy companies now, as well as Mattel, and uh, making figures of names from the past. So when when you were there, in terms of promotional duties, like did you uh, do photo shoots? Uh, did you do like were you interviewed for the magazine or uh were there no. any other promotional duties involved? No, no, no. I mean, I they used to write a lot about me in the magazines. I would see my picture in a lot of these magazines and and all kinds of really interesting things, you know, written about me. Um, but I never was asked to do any of the promoting stuff, you know, any of the promotion stuff. Um, I would have, you know, gladly, but Vince wanted to keep me focused on on raw. And keep me, you know, I don't know if he had other ideas that, you know, we didn't have time to get to whatever. Knowing him, he probably did because he he thinks things out in advance, well in advance, you know. Uh, the, the, like the I said, fact, he's the P.T. Barnum for our age. Yeah, he really is. And, and the fact that you were kind of exclusive to Monday Night Raw really did give Raw early on its identity as well, as well as the uh, as well as the Manhattan Center. Um, mm. you know, because Todd Pettengill was, I guess he was more suited for the Saturday morning. He was more wacky in terms right. of like being kid friendly. Right. Um, right. I couldn't imagine Rob Bartlett sort of no. presenting no. a show for kids. <laughs> yeah. no, no ass, no ass the size of an amphitheater on Saturday morning for the kiddies. No. I don't think so. <clears throat> um, so how far did you and Todd uh, go back? And was it kind of weird? Because you got hired like almost the same week, it seemed. We didn't really go back. I really didn't meet him until then. And um, and and then we never really stayed in touch. And then every once in a while, I would see him in the hallways at, at WABC because WPLJ was in the same studio. I'd see him every once in a while, but he had the morning show and I had the morning show. So the two of us never really, you know, bumped into each other a lot, I'll say. But they were, you know, uh, it was an interesting, it was an interesting time to be there. He, uh, and he, he really had a huge success with the PLJ. He really did. And and the thing is that as time went on in his room with WWF, I mean, he was he was popping the popcorn at one point. He was cleaning the you know stairs after the show. You know, he was doing everything. Like how he was able to fit that in with his morning radio show, which would be halfway across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just like, yeah, I, I, I survived on no sleep for about four mm-hmm. years. And, yeah. uh, you know, and he said that it was just getting so... 
tiresome and i think it was affecting his personal life and all that kind of thing so but the the thing is though his his regret was that he left in 97 and then by 1998 wwf was the hottest thing in the world (laughs) right well see that's the thing so i i was able to get right in that little valley between the rock and wrestling high (laughs) and then the 98 high it was like just in the middle so i'm taking credit for starting the ramp up to 98 i'm i'm taking full credit for that that i was at the the beginning of the the renaissance mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> i'm telling you that again that i can't stress enough how refreshing and how needed monday night raw was in terms of a format because you know superstars was the main weekly show and primetime wrestling but they was they were sat behind a desk mm-hmm. it was pre-packaged i mean it was mm-hmm. lavishly produced with the lighting and everything but it was just it wasn't probably what was on tv a lot at that point and i'm guessing yeah. in terms of like mtv uh in terms of you know just everything was canned mm, um yeah. in t- you know in terms of stuff like just presented for the youth as well because mm-hmm. you know um yeah it was it was definitely a bold move that needed to be done so the, the important question is did you try any ico pro oh i used to eat ico pro bars all the time to bulk um, up right yeah well i just know because it, to me it was like all right it's like a it's like a what is it that there's a bar there's a candy bar that's like an ico pro bar it was like one of those protein deals where it's basically um, window caulk, you know, it's a hardened <laughs> piece of window caulk, you know, flavored artificial chocolate. And um, I used to munch on those during the, uh, during the shows. Were they um, actually good or were they just, they were not terrific. No. As I recall, they were, they were not, I mean, they weren't the worst thing I'd ever had, but they certainly weren't the best thing I ever had, but they were something, you know, and with the, with the, um, you know the grilled chicken and and rice and and steamed vegetables. I I would get a little peckish around mid mid show, and so I'd start munching on a, almost like a Turkish taffy. I would kind of compare it to um, Turkish the, taffy that tasted a little more like window cock. The <laughs> the um the rumor is that uh, underneath Titan Towers there are just vats of unsold Ico Pro that have just been buried. Um, which I, I hope is true. Uh, um, I think the, the the renovation that they did, that's in the foundation. I think they actually <laughs> used them as bricks. <clears throat> and again, though, everything's so collectible now. Ico Pro stuff, orig- I, 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 it's insane. Uh, had, I had an Ico Pro gym bag because obviously I, I look like the type who works out. Um, and you know there are that the the sleeveless t-shirts and everything as well so um yeah everyone is looking for a bottle of ico pro or a bar of ico pro so i was hoping you may have (laughs) i wish you know if i knew then what i know now um i could i could be better retired (laughs) so the uh I, I know the last thing you said on WWF television. Uh, I don't know if you remember what it was. No. <laughs> no. Do you remember, remember Friar Ferguson? I named Friar Ferguson. Oh, come on. Right. We need I, this story. Right. <laughs> I named Friar Ferguson. They were, he, they were backstage and um, Bruce Pritchard was there. And um, I think the character was Bruce's concept, his idea. And they couldn't come up with a name and they were tossing out ideas, whatever, you know, some monk something, whatever. And I just, I don't know why I just thought, well, go with the alliteration. I said, how about Friar Ferguson? And Vince goes, that's it. 
I don't think Bruce was that happy with the fact that I named Friar Ferguson, but um, yeah, I, I named Friar Ferguson. That's that's my contribution to WWF history. I, was, I named Friar Ferguson. I was going to say maybe that is the reason why it uh, only lasted two weeks, but I'm guessing it was actually all of the uh, the letters that uh, USA Network received from various... I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think USA Network got a little bit of hate mail. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so what was the last thing I said? Oh, uh, well, the, the last words to ever uh, enter your mouth on WWF or exit your mouth on WWF television, uh, Friar Ferguson started doing a dance and you laughed at uh, Friar Ferguson. And that was the last thing. I just laughed. I didn't say anything. I just... No, you just laughed. Okay. Well, that's, I guess that's a fitting close to uh, the 13 weeks that I spent with the uh, organization. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it was um, fun. It was fun. So uh, were there any uh, characters that you particularly liked? I mean, because I'm such a big fan of Matt Bourne, uh, who played the original Doink the Clown. Um, uh-huh. and, and obviously you had your, your business on uh, Raw when you were Elvis and he right. put the pie, the pie in your face. So what, what was Matt Bourne like? Um, you know what? I never saw him out of makeup. You know, I wouldn't see all the guys before the matches so sometimes you know i wouldn't see them until the show started um but i didn't have really a lot of of stuff you know a lot of interaction with him um you know on or off the air um i liked you know my 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 two two of my favorite people were bobby obviously and and obviously vince i mean uh, randy not that you know vince is not one of my favorite people but you know he's not he doesn't hold the same place in my heart that that randy and and bobby did um i i liked the steiner brothers they made me laugh Hmm. i liked i i liked undertaker even though he was a little creepy um um, so guys like well. some of the more like uh, uh, the ones that were there only for that time period, guys like Giant Gonzalez. Like, I'm guessing mm-hmm. you did get along with him because you, well, yeah, you I mean, aside that. from that one, one little, <laughs> one little moment we had at Madison Square Garden, I think, uh, he uh, he was fine. I didn't really have much to do with him though, to be honest with you. I like Yokozuna, um, uh, I like Mr. Fuji. Uh, Jimmy Hart, I liked because I, I'm a big old time rock and roll fan. Of course, and knowing that Jimmy Hart was in, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the band now. Gentries. The gent. He was in the Gentries. The fact that he was in the Gentries that was kind of cool. So he and I would like you know talk rock and roll history backstage sometimes. Um, Did you get a chance? Were you there for uh, Jerry Lawler? Was there for one uh, role when you were there? And obviously he was there. He, I think the last one I was there for. Mm. Yeah, and he has he, the uh, Andy Kaufman connection, but he also released albums. And being from Memphis, uh-huh. he discovered Jimmy Hart as well. So there's like, a huge... oh, I didn't know that. Okay, he yeah. wasn't a big fan of mine. I don't think. Jerry. Oh, was it because you were trying to be funny, and he's the yeah. Funny man. <laughs> and I don't know. Some people say that I was the one who started the Burger King chant, but I I don't know. I That's don't know interesting. I don't know if I'll own up to that or not. Yeah, <laughs> you weren't at the. You were gone, I think, when Tiny Tim was uh, at the Manhattan Center and Jerry Lawler broke his uh, ukulele. Oh, I see. I definitely was gone. That would have been great for me because I remember Tiny Tim from back in the sixties mm-hmm. when Tiny Tim got married on the Tonight Show. Did you get a chance to meet Tiny Tim? No, no, unfortunately. Well, that, well that, in terms of uh, celebrities during that time, so I'm get, I, I, did you meet guys like Muhammad Ali and just kind of? No. 
No, I missed that whole rock and wrestling celebrities and wrestling thing. And then they started again right after me. So (laughs) (laughs) I was right there in the middle, but you know, when it was just me and, you know, Scott Hall. Even that WrestleMania, there were no celebrities. Um, They just had a guy dressed as Julius Caesar. Um, And um, Natalie, uh, what was her name? Uh, The singer. um, Natalie Cole? Natalie Cole, she just happened to be in the audience. So Todd Pettingill just seized the opportunity to have a word with her. And uh, (laughs) So um, the 13 weeks you were there, was that always the plan? It was just 13 weeks or were you kind of... No, 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 no. That, that what happened was is by that point, I'd kind of run out of ideas to try and make it work. Um, you know, I, I wasn't able to get into the groove of it. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't. It wasn't really a good fit, um, unfortunately. Not for a lack of Vince trying, and not for a lack of my trying, or anybody else involved with the program. You know, Kevin Dunn or anybody's trying to to make it work. And I just, I got to the point where, you know, I was talking before about if you're not adding something, um, you, you shouldn't be there. And I realized I really wasn't adding something. And I, I called, um, I called Kevin on the, uh, I think it was the day after that, that last episode that I was on with Jerry Lola. And I said, you know, this has been great and you guys have been terrific, but I don't think I'm right for this. I, I think you guys are, you know, you guys have something here, and I, I just don't think that at least at this point I'm right for what you're trying to do. And, um, you know, unless somebody comes up with a really brilliant idea um, and how to make this work, I think you guys are better off without me. And um, I think Vince decided to take the spin that I was fired. Um, which was the, the absolute right thing to do. They acknowledged you know, to, it on TV, which was something that they never did. And I found that like to be a mark of respect. It was kind of like when Ric Flair did the loser leaves match, like usually uh-huh. you'd be off TV and they would never explain it. Um, uh-huh. But they did actually explain that. I think the, uh, the Sherry Luna cat fight had too much of a, um, you know, it took too much out of me. Yeah, I think it did. It's <laughs> an emotional toll. See, that's great. That's great. You know, yeah. that's, that, that's the, that's the way it should have been. You know, had I known it was my last, I might've done something a little bit more, you know, then laugh at Friar memorable Ferguson. Than, <laughs> than laughing at Friar Ferguson. But. We all laughed at Friar Ferguson. We were laughing with you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so when, when WWF became much hotter in the late nineties, <laughs> did anyone reach out or was there any no. interest in potentially coming back? Or was that no. just kind of, no, I have not heard from anybody. Um, since uh, to be honest with you, the only person I've heard from from those days was um, was Sean Mooney uh, to just to do his podcast. We did a we did a watch along of the of the pilot. You did do um, a watch along. That was an idea that I even had ages ago, and then Sean Mooney beat me to it. But he's he's got he's better connected than I am. Now everybody's doing it, so <laughs> don't, don't feel so bad. <clears throat> I don't, I don't. I, and it is just an absolute honor to get to chat with you. And and the thing is, as well, as we were talking before we went on air, we have very, very similar music tastes. So uh, yes. I look forward to uh, chatting with you about that. So that's the thing. T- talk about that on air and then it counts as like a verbal contract, you see. So, um, oh, I got you. Oh, OK. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> Those are the well, it'd be I'm my doing. pleasure. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's the thing. I've said that to certain wrestlers and they're just like, oh. and I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I know to read the room, you know. <laughs> and the thing is that you've done so, because uh, th- this 13 weeks of your career is 
you know, such a relatively a small thing, but it's a thing that has lasted so long as well, you know, and especially all across the world who the reach of those 13 weeks. um, It's it's really weird the way that it has endured, to be honest with you. I mean, more so than, you know, five Broadway shows that I did more so than all the episodes I did on Law and Order SVU or elementary you know, I had my own story arc, uh, five episodes of Elementary yeah. uh, as a police captain, you know, and, and you know, The Good Wife, I had a great story arc on that. None of that stuff, my stand-up, some of the IMA stuff has, has remained, but only because there's a lot of stuff on YouTube with it. A lot of the bits and a lot of the characters are still up on, on YouTube. And every once in a while on, on my podcast, the Rob Bartlett Radio Comedy Hour, available wherever you get your podcasts, um, is um, I, I try to bring some of that stuff back. I actually did an episode called Rest, Wrestling With Myself, where I recall my days on Raw, and I have a couple of clips and stuff that I played. Um, and every once in a while, I'll play some of the characters I did in Imus, aside from the other you know sketches and things that I do uh, on a semi-regular basis. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's it's this has truly endured, you know, and and you know I get I get these direct messages sometimes on Instagram or or, or Facebook from from old time fans, and you know I always answer back and I always follow back because you know you gotta you gotta respect the the fans and be grateful for the fact that they they care enough to to reach out to you and it's been a lot of fun you know it's been a lot of fun they're they're, they're great fans man i'm telling you they're the most loyal fans you'll ever ever have is is the wrestling fans they're they're amazing the, the uh the the time that you were there the wrestlemania 9 is considered one of the worst wrestlemanias ever but i will fight people over that because uh, that's one of my favorite wrestlemanias ever so well, it's because um, i wasn't there Pablo, you see? There you go. That's why it's one of the worst. <laughs> Could have been the best had I been there. Can you imagine me in a toga? Come on. Oh, I mean, how close were, were we to seeing that? Huh? Oh, not at all. No? <laughs> <laughs> no? There was no talk of ever inviting me to be part of, of WrestleMania. Now, I think it was too early on, too, in the process to really take a chance on, you know, I had really not enough under my belt at that point to 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 go there with any kind of you know i would love to have seen you on the elephant that's all i'm saying <laughs> you would have had a hard time figuring out who was who <laughs> oh, uh, but you know i'll be here all week folks try to deal and on that note yeah um, so uh, where can uh where can people find you what's your house number um, um your, okay your, your you waist size to, you know yeah. all that kind of thing uh, um they can find me on, on, on my podcast the rob bartlett radio comedy hour uh, they can reach out to me uh, on Twitter uh, as at the Robio, T H E R O B I O. Uh, on Instagram, it's Robio007. Um, or uh, Rob Bartlett, I think Rob Bartlett Radio Comedy Hours is the other one uh, on Instagram. Uh, you can email me at Robio Radio Comedy Hour at gmail.com. Um, or they can sign up for I do online acting and comedy classes. Uh, if you want to be a comedian or just look like one, uh, or if you've ever wanted to act, I, I do online coaching and I have uh, students from all over the world. Matter of fact, I have two uh, incredible students. Both of them uh, are in Belfast. Um, uh, young gentlemen, uh, I do from teens to adults. So, and that's the the rbstudio.com. If you're interested in that kind of thing, but otherwise, drop me a line, drop me an email, 
Um, it'd be great to hear from you and, uh, and, and, and follow the Rob Bartlett radio comedy hour, uh, uh, podcast and, and give us a good review on, on Apple podcasts. Cause it, it helps my ego. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Do the same for this uh, show as well, please. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Rob, I want to thank you for, uh, for doing this again, you won't find a, a much bigger fan of that very, uh, what's the word, sort of compressed time right. period. <laughs> sort of that, that three it's months. It's the oof, the oof, the, the Rob Bartlett oof of raw. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 30th anniversary coming up uh, next year. So I'm hoping. That's, it's a big one too. So it is. They need to bring back the raw saying, girls. I'm just saying, Yeah. you know, it could be a, a triumphant return. Even just for the anniversary. I don't need a steady gig. Just bring me back for the anniversary. Matter of fact, why don't we get all you wrestling fans out there to do a groundswell movement? Let's let's try to get in and, and get Robbio back back home to Raw for the what it's gotta be the 30th, right? The, the 30th, 30th anniversary. anniversary. The 30th anniversary. All right. We need we need a, a grassroots movement here. Um, depending on you wrestling fans to get this done. You and Vince back on commentary, that's what we need. Um and just, I've got the long hair and I've got the beard, so just give me a, a sparkly cowboy hat. And, you got it. And you I can, it. you know, I can and the glasses. It. You need the glasses. The glasses. You've got to have the glasses, and uh, everyone will be like, "God, Randy Savage has let himself go." I mean, you know, um, and he's been dead for fifteen years, so he's actually looking worse. And I, I actually cried when when he when both he and Bobby passed. I, yeah. I cried. I mean, and and no one, and that's also Bobby. He was so sick; you could see how sick he was, and he still kept going. Man, it was two really amazing individuals, you know. Yeah, my my eternal regret is um, it was about a year before Bobby passed. He came to Wales for a, a Comic Con, and I was just like, "Surely he's too ill to travel. Surely it won't happen, etc." And then he came, and I missed mm. it. And mm. you know that's uh, something I'll definitely definitely always regret. But I've, I, like mm. I said, I have one of Bobby's raw jackets. That's great. Um, which is just so, like so his DNA is in there somewhere. So maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, I had a Randy Savage uh, boot cover at some point. I, I don't have lots of like ring worn. I don't have like he, uh, things he that died people... in an automobile accident. He did, he did, yeah. and and it's one of those things as well that like being a fan of that type. Not that, oh God, we're leaving this on such a downer. Um... <laughs> yeah, thanks, Pablo. We had yeah, such a good sorry. time. Now you gotta drag it to the dirt. Yeah. Let's go back to getting me back on Raw for the 30th anniversary. Let's do that. That's not too self-serving, is it? I apologize if it is. No, not at all. No, it's it's definitely they brought back Sean Mooney, they've brought back Todd Pettengill. Uh, we need Rob Bartlett um back on Raw, definitely from the Manhattan Center as well, because it's not too far from your house, so you don't have to travel. That's right. I got I can take the train. It's yeah. right next to Madison Square Garden, so I wouldn't even have to, you know, get a cab. I could actually walk from mm -hmm. the from Penn Station. So mm -hmm. and uh yeah, great stuff. So I'm not good at ending these. Yeah, uh, this is the this is the problem with podcasts. You don't have to be trained anymore to any well, you need to have some kind of a um a sign off some kind of uh you know you either give a little bit of credits you know and you know and the, the name of the show written produced by and uh, and then uh, until next time this is this is a product of the children's television workshop um the <laughs> And until okay. next time, boys okay. and girls, well, this stay out of trees. You know, you have to have some kind of a sign-off. Well, this has been Turntruckle, and we are uncooked. Uncensored. 
and uncut and we will see you all next week.